This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Are you guys excited about studying God's Word together today? Take out your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Today we are going to conclude our four-week teaching series on money and the glory of God. We started our series a few weeks ago as we looked at earning it for the glory of God. We've looked at spending it for the glory of God, saving it for the glory of God, and we're going to conclude our time today by looking at giving it for the glory of God, which really begs the question. So let's put the whole series into context. Why? Why should we work hard to earn money well? Why should we budget and learn to manage and spend money well? Why should we be good and wise planners and save money well? Well, we do all of those things so that we can give money well. So that we would be givers. And when we are givers, we're going to be very much like our Savior, Jesus. But when you look across the board, for, here, for those of us here in North America, particularly in the United States, American Christians aren't very good at this. Here are some of our statistics in America. So a tither is someone who gives at least 10% of their income to the Lord's work, to the mission of God. Tithers only make up 10 to 25% of an average congregation. And only 5% of Americans at large tithe. With 80%, listen to this, 80% of Americans give 2% or less to a local church. As a matter of fact, this, and this statistic is shocking we are at one of the wealthiest points in our history as a, as a people. But Christians today are giving less per capita than they did during the Great Depression. And so when it comes to God's work and generosity and being a part of God's work, American Christians are doing a poorer job today than my grandparents did and my great-grandparents did during the Great Depression. But a bigger question, what if we were better at this? What, I mean, what if we did? So Christianity Today, a few years ago, posed the question and wrote an article on what if every Christian in America would give at least 10% of their income to the Lord's work. Here are the statistics of what would happen. This is mind-boggling. If every Christian in America would give at least 10%, $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in only five years. Another $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's sanitation issues, especially in places where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. A billion dollars could fund the overseas mission effort in totality. And after doing all of those great things and providing for all of those needs, there would still be a hundred billion dollars left. 
It seems that God's strategy for providing for human needs and providing for his mission effort by his people giving faithfully and sacrificially to his cause was actually the right idea. And so what my goal is today is to show you from the scriptures how we can do this, but also why we should do it and try to connect it to some of the world needs that we see But not to just give because we need to meet needs, but in giving and sacrificing and giving lavishly and generously, most importantly, we are going to reflect our God himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, what is happening is Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he's encouraging them to fulfill the obligations that they have, but also to fulfill the commitment that they had made. Here's what had happened, and we looked at this briefly when we studied the book of Acts last fall. The Christians in Jerusalem were in need. There was extreme poverty. Um, There was a famine. There was need among the church of Jesus Christ in the city of Jerusalem. And so what the early Christians did is they sent out dispatch to the Christians in other parts of the region, and they took up what was known as the Jerusalem collection. One noted Bible scholar talks about it this way. At the end of his third mission, Paul was preoccupied with a collection for the Jerusalem Christians. He dealt with this collection in every epistle written during this period, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Romans. But by far the most extensive treatment of the subject is that of 2nd Corinthians. Paul seems to have encountered the most resistance to the collections from the Corinthians. Now here's what I want you to see this morning. Is my goal is not to get you to give in a reactionary way. That's not the goal today. The goal is not to say, man, Mill City Church is really struggling financially. And so if I can just pull on your heartstrings a little bit by looking at this text today that it would cause you to give more. We're actually in a very strong place financially as a church. This is not reactionary at all. What I'm, what I'm trying to get us to do is to look at the, the collection in, in 2 Corinthians and look at biblical giving principles that really go for all time for all Christians so that every one of us will be the type of disciple who holds on to our things so loosely and we give so generously and we prepare so well because by doing that, we reflect the character of our God more distinctly and we participate in God's mission proactively and reactively the way in which he wants us to be. And so what I want to do is I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first 15 verses. And then I'll pause. We'll start our, our message time through our notes. And then we're also going to make our way into 2 Corinthians 9 before the day is over. So here's what Paul writes. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." 
and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And implied here is through the collection. Accordingly, we urge Titus, just as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Just as we have looked at every week and trying to codify what the scriptures teach us on specific issues regarding work and money, we're going to do the same thing with giving today. So let's look at these big picture truths. We see a lot of them right here in 2 Corinthians. Three biblical foundations regarding Christian giving. Number one, this is a review. I'm going to fly through this part for the sake of time. God is the source of all of your money. And I'm saying this today because there could be someone here who is new. Perhaps you haven't heard the other parts of the series. It is important to always remember that whatever you have, whatever paycheck you get, whatever source of income you possess, before you ever worked for it, before your employer ever signed the check, it is God himself who is supplying those riches, that wealth, to you. We see this again in verse 1 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given. That word grace has at its root the idea of gift, undeserved gift. All the riches, all the money, all the wealth that you have, I enjoy. God gives it. As a review, God is the owner, and you are the manager. I have all those scriptures there we've looked at before. We won't look at them again today. But God is the owner of everything. And what God has done is he has given to you your allotment. He has entrusted to you your share in his resources. And so he is the owner. You are the manager. So God is the source of all your money. But Jesus also, a second foundation, Jesus is the example for all your giving. Jesus is the example for all of your giving. I think sometimes we wrongly think that giving is just simply a ploy of pastors to try and just get the church to continue to operate. That is just a very wrong-headed response and idea about, about money and about giving in God's economy. 
Now, I recognize that there are a lot of pastors out there, a lot of preachers who manipulate the word of God for their own gain and by doing so also manipulate the people of God. But we must not look to the worst examples among us and then deduce from that our theology and our practice regarding money and giving. The ultimate reason why we give the ultimate reason why we are to be generous is because it's the very nature of Jesus himself. Did you see verse 3? Talking about the, the, the poor Macedonians. These were literally Christians who were impoverished in Macedonia. And Paul describes them in verse 3. For they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. So implied there is that they gave lavishly, right? They gave lavishly. Now, where do we see this over in verse 9? Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see, ultimately, the the Macedonian Christians who were living in poverty, they were only following the example of their Savior, Jesus Christ, and giving in a way in which he gave. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through the text and look at the, the ways in which the Macedonian Christians gave, the ways in which Paul was encouraging and challenging the Corinthians to give, and how it relates to Jesus, our Savior. So let's look practically here of what it means for you and for me to give. Number one, you should give joyfully and lavishly. You should give joyfully and lavishly. We saw the Macedonian example. When you look at verse 7 of chapter 9, if you just go over one chapter, Paul says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And perhaps we could even replace that word cheerful with joyful. And so when you look at verse 7 about being a cheerful giver, and you look at the example of the Macedonians who gave joyfully, you see that it's not just about what we give. It's not even about the money. It's about our hearts. It's about our mindsets. It's about our joy. That God desires for us to give with a joyful attitude, a joyful spirit, not begrudgingly, not under compulsion, because if we were to give that way, we would be giving in a way that's not like the way Jesus gave. Donald Whitney says, One man said there are three kinds of giving. Grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I have to. Duty giving says, I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. Some people give because they say they can't keep it. Others give because they say they owe it. But there are always those who give because they say they can't help it. When you go back to verses 2 and 3 and look at the Macedonian Christians, they didn't have many resources. 
As a matter of fact, they were in extreme poverty, Paul says, but they gave beyond their means. They gave lavishly. And so what we learn from these simple texts are, are these simple truths, that both attitude and actions matter when it comes to giving in God's economy. And when we give joyfully and when we give lavishly, we reflect Jesus. I want to show you two other passages here to connect your attitude and your generosity in giving and how it immediately and specifically follows the example of Jesus. Give joyfully. Give joyfully because Jesus gave joyfully. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Ephesians 1 verses 7 and 8, we should give lavishly because that scripture tells us that Jesus lavished his blessings upon us. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus does not begrudgingly or sparingly bless you, right? Look at your life. Think about what you have. Think about, think about the provisions God has given to you. Jesus does not begrudgingly do that and he does not sparingly do it. He joyfully does it. He lavishly does it. And so when we joyfully and lavishly give, we reflect the example of Jesus. Another practical example that we learn from this passage about our giving is that you should give regularly and spontaneously. You should give both regularly and spontaneously. When you look back at verse 7 of chapter 9, Paul said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You see, there is a preparation element there about our gifts. Now, there are most definitely times that we should give in a reactionary way. So we learn about a need that we did not know about. It could be a brother or a sister. It could be about a, there could be a missionary need that comes before you. Someone gives you a support letter or there is something that crosses your inbox and, and, and it comes in your inbox and you, you are stirred to action and you want to respond to that. That is a good and fitting thing for us to do. But our, the totality of our giving, and I would even, uh, I could even make a case to you that the, the largest amount of our giving should not be reactionary. That should not be the normal way in which we give, is just simply responding and reacting to things. The normal way in which we should give is regular, planned giving. We see this in part here in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9. But if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, when Paul also talks about the collection there, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, in verse 1, he says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. See, here is God's regular equation for our giving. Is that we should give regularly in a planned way, a budgeted way to our local church. And that should be the regular pattern of our lives. 
And then as we hear about other needs, then we respond to those and we give above and beyond what we've already given. We see this in Corinth in both, in both first and second Corinthians. We, could give, we should give regularly and spontaneously. And I think this would be a fitting place for someone to ask, okay, Chris, what does tithing mean? And what does it mean to actually tithe? And does this mean that that's the only thing that, that God requires of me? Well, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a background on tithing. So we get that primarily from the Old Testament. Now, Jesus talks about tithing as well a couple of different times in the Gospels. He doesn't really give us a lot of teaching on tithing other than just talk about it in passing, just presuming that people already do it. So we get most of our teaching on tithing from the Old Testament. And there were multiple different kinds of tithes. Now, the tithe in and of itself, the very meaning of the word is 10%, a tenth. And so oftentimes what we as Christians have done is say, well, God just desires 10% from us. And as long as I'm giving $128.91 every two weeks, if that's what 10% of my paycheck is, then I am honoring God in my giving. I would argue to you that that is not a good understanding of what tithe means. You see, actually in the Old Testament, there were several different tithes. And we don't have time to look at all of them today. But there was the Levitical tithe. There was the grain tithe. There was the regular tithe. As a matter of fact, when you added up all the different tithes in the Old Testament, the average Israelite was probably giving somewhere between 25 and 30% of what they had to the local congregation, to the working for the, for the people of God. And the reason is because God's people then, it was not just a spiritual community, it was also a nation. And so this also served in many aspects as taxes as well for their everyday lives. So when you get to the New Testament, Jesus does not abolish the tithe to say that you shouldn't give 10%. What Jesus does is he expounds upon it. And instead, what we see over and over in the New Testament is sacrificial giving. And it's why here at, at Mill City that I don't really teach tithing very often because I don't want you to get in the mentality that God is just looking for a minimum amount from you and as long as you give the least common denominator that somehow God is happy and pleased. Jesus has lavishly given to us. We should be lavish and generous in the ways in which we give. A few places in the Old Testament, Luke 3.11 Jesus says, whoever has two tunics, share with him who has none. And whoever has food, to do likewise. Later, he affirms, he affirms Zacchaeus for giving away half of his possessions. And then tells another guy that come to follow him and give away everything that he has and give to the poor. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, you see the early church just giving lavishly and generously to those who are in need. And so... The picture that I want to give to you is not a set amount, but generosity, lavish generosity. And that reflects Jesus. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, says this, tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's the starting blocks. Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. So you see, there are some of us in the room today who need to start here. 
a good place for you to start, put your, put your generosity training wheels on this morning, is to start giving a regular 10% tithe to your local church week in and week out, month in and month out. And as you work those giving muscles, allow God to grow you and expand you in that over time. As your debts reduce, as your income may increase, allow those percentages to increase. As we've talked about before, every time we get a new amount of money, a new raise, we shouldn't just be thinking about how we increase my standard of living, but also how do we increase our standard of giving. And then plan for. So after you put those training wheels on and you do that regularly, then start planning for and budgeting additional Great Commission giving. Things like mission trip support, supporting our brothers and sisters who are going on short-term mission trips, supporting faith missionaries who are overseas and raising their own support, maybe things like Compassion International or World Vision who are providing needs for underprivileged children all around the globe and any other kind of gospel-centered mission efforts. But what I want you to learn from the passage here is that we should give joyfully and lavishly, yes, but we should also give regularly and in a reactionary way and spontaneously as well. Third principle, very quickly, you should give sooner rather than later. You should give sooner rather than later. You get down to verses 10 and 11, and he tells the Corinthians, in this matter, I give my judgment. It benefits you. Who, year, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it, so now finish doing it as well. What's the principle? The principle is fulfill your commitments. You started it a year ago and you never finished it. You bring that to today, we understand what God is teaching us here. Obey Him in it. And I want to I try and shatter some, some myths and some lies we tell ourselves. Oftentimes we'll say, well, I'll wait until I get my first full-time job because that's what the Bible teaches. When you get a full-time job, that's when you start giving. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says whatever we give, whatever we receive, we give in response to that. And so you might be here today and you're making 50 bucks a week shoveling snow. It'd be a really good practice to start giving five or ten dollars off of that through regular practice to God and his mission. And it will train you to be able to handle greater amounts as you get down the road. And so don't buy into the lie that, that giving is something I wait to do once I get financially secure. Look at the widow and her offering in the book of Luke. This was a woman who didn't have anything, but Jesus said that she had given more than anybody else because of what she had given as far as a percentage of what she had. I remember my, my own story with this, and I, I try to tell as many stories in my own life. This is one of the things I'm really thankful for. I had great wise mentors in my life when I was a young teenager, and my grandparents, my grandparents were very simple people. They were people of very few means. I've shared that with you as we've gone through this series. But one of the things I learned from my grandparents and from other mentors at my church was to be generous. And I watched other people in my life be generous. And so I remember getting my first job. My first job, I was a stock boy at the county market grocery store in, in uh, 
in downtown Vicksburg, Mississippi. And, and I don't remember exactly how much I was making. It wasn't much. It couldn't have been more than $100, $120 a week. But I remember during that time when I got my first checkbook, and I learned immediately that every time I get a check, I immediately give at least 10% to my local church. And I started that when I was 16 years old. I have, and, and, and I'm not a perfect man, but I can tell you that I have been faithful to do that every week of my life or every month of my life since I turned 16 years old. And God has blessed my life innumerably as a result of that. So I want you to know that whether you are 12 in this room or whether you are 90 in this room, it is never too late to start doing the wise and right thing. You should give sooner rather than later and start allowing God to work through you in what he has provided for you. Last point I want you to see here about our giving is you are called, we are all called to equal sacrifice regardless of income. This is where we get really tripped up. We, we think about giving, lavish, generous giving as something that only the wealthy can do. And if I can't write a check that's four or five digits on my check, then I'm not giving generously. Brothers and sisters, hear my heart here and hear the words of Scripture. It's never about the amount. It's about the heart. And it's about equal sacrifice. There are some of us in this room that writing a $100 check would be a lavish, generous gift because of your financial state. There are others of you to write a $100 check would be nothing less than sin and being disobedient because you are hoarding the riches that God has given to you. It's not about amount. It's about percentages and sacrifice. And God has called us to equal sacrifice regardless of how much money we make. So you're, remember, God is the source of all your income Jesus is the ultimate example of all your giving. We give lavishly and joyfully because he gave lavishly and joyfully to us. And the last thing I want you to see here is I want you to see how your giving is not just about writing a check or dropping cash in a bucket. It is so much more comprehensive than that. Thirdly, your giving is evidence of God's work inside of you. It's evident of God's work inside of you. I want to turn our attention in our final few minutes here to the last paragraph of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read this in its, in its context, and then I want to show you these four things here of how your giving affects so much more than just simply what you're putting in a basket. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. 
His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is such a great paragraph. You remember as we began our new year, I walked us through a couple of big picture kingdom principles that we learned from the text to think about our year. And, and, and I summed that up and we entitled that message, hashtag bigger than me, right? Hashtag bigger than me. Here's where I want to draw that, that link. Your resources, your giving is bigger than you. As a church, our resources, our giving is bigger than us. Look at this. So first of all, when you give and you give faithfully, regularly, spontaneously, joyfully, lavishly, all the ways in which we just looked at, number one, it demonstrates trust. It demonstrates trust. It demonstrates that you trust God to provide for you everything that you need. And instead of being the hoarder who is trying to play it safe and keep your, spiritual, uh, your physical resources to yourself and not share them through self-preservation, and you want to keep it close, you're demonstrating that your trust is in what you are doing, what you are making, what you have earned. But when you give faithfully and you give regularly, it demonstrates that you trust God who is the owner of all, to entrust you with more and more. Look at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And I want to tie this to the next point. It also produces fruit. Now, I don't want you to mishear me here because we could get into some really bad theology pretty quickly. I don't want for a moment for you to be able to infer that I am teaching you that if you just give, 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 God is going to give, give, give you more money. That's bad theology. It's on TV. It's in books. It's everywhere. It's wrong. That's not the mentality that we're going after. But there is a spiritual return that takes place. And so what he's going to tell us here is, as we sow bountifully, as we give lavishly and generously, there is spiritual richness and blessings and fruit and growth that happens in your life. And not only in your life, but through your life, right? So, so follow his argument here as he goes on in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that 
having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be rich, enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Do you see that? There is a link between your generous, lavish giving and the spiritual maturity and fruit that takes place in and through your life. And I would make the argument that the converse is also true. When you sow, and you sow sparingly, in that mentality of self-preservation, it is no wonder you look around and you can't really see a lot of spiritual fruit that's going on in you or through you. It demonstrates trust. It produces fruits. Verse 12 shows us it also meets needs. It meets needs. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Just stop there. This brings us all the way back to the beginning of our message this morning. Is that if Christ followers have truly been lavishly given to, and we respond by lavishly giving through generosity, think about all of the needs and the missional advance that will take place. And so when you write your check, or when we see the baskets go around, I want you to be thinking about, Father, meet real needs through this. Advance your mission through this, because God uses his people to meet needs. One of the clearest ways I ever learned this in my own life, for the first eight years of my tenure here in New England, I was a faith missionary, meaning that I raised all of my own support to be here. And I had a, a whole team of people, literally all across the country, who were giving gifts all over the spectrum. I had retirees in Mississippi giving me $15 a month. I had organizations and institutions giving five to $10,000 a year. And I had everything in between. And I had a team of about 40 to 50 people who were in, in institutions who were making my salary and benefits possible in order to minister here in New England. And time after time again, I would go to the mailbox and I would randomly, out of nowhere, receive a check for $500 after having a car repair that week of 480 and it happened so many times that I got to a point where I just got excited going to the mailbox every day. And I told so many people that when I went into a salaried missionary position, one of the biggest things I would miss about raising support was going to the mailbox. And it was one of those times where God showed me that through the generosity and the faithfulness of other Christians, my needs were being met. But then I want to transition there to the last point here about God, God's evidence inside of you as you give is it also causes gratitude. I'm not sure that many of us think about this very often that your faithful giving 
is having a spiritual effect in another Christian's life. Look at verse 13. So it's talking about the Jerusalem Christians. By their approval of this service, in other words, the Corinthians giving to their needs, they're going to glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And you go back up to verse 12, and it says that their giving is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, when I was receiving all of those checks in the mail, and I was watching my needs being provided for as a result of the faithful giving of so many others, my spiritual relationship with Jesus was overflowing with gratitude and thanksgivings and glorifying God. And my worship and gratitude to God was directly tied to the faithfulness and the generosity of other believers. And so brothers and sisters, I want us to be a people who are joyfully generous, who are lavishly generous, First of all, because it reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ. But second of all, because it is going to result in great spiritual fruit and blessing and maturation in my life, in your life as we do this. And thirdly, because when we do this and we do it faithfully and consistently, our joyful and generous giving is causing thanksgivings and praise from so many other hearts because of the needs that it is meeting and because of the mission that it's advancing. And so as we have done so often as we have gone through this series, we're going to close through a prayer. And it's in light of everything we've looked at today, we want to pray this. Father, help us earn money, spend money, and save money responsibly so that we can give money generously. Father, I pray today that we would mirror Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would joyfully give, that we would generously give, that we would be faithful regardless of whether we are in financial blessing and abundance today or whether we are in financial need and in poverty today. Because regardless of our income, Father, you want us to reflect your Son. And so I pray today that we would be a people of equal sacrifice and we would be generous just as you have been so generous to us. And Father, I pray that as we grow in this as individual Christians, that we would also grow in this as a faith family. And as we do grow in this, Father, would you cause all sorts of maturation and spiritual fruit and blessing to happen in and through our lives. And may it cause many thanksgivings and praise of you as a result. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.